This is Vision Sunday. This is Vision Part 1, and today is called First Things First. We're going to focus primarily today on two core values, and then we'll talk about the final four core values next week. And some of the things that we're going to talk about is what makes us unique. How are we different than other churches? What makes us different? How can we serve our community? We do have a unique calling as Windsor Community Church in this community. We are a church that's not for everybody. We are a church that desires to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack this a little bit today. The Lord has really humbled me in a big way this week. Our strategy here, our teaching methodology here is to teach through the Bible verse by verse. And as you know, we've been teaching through 1 Corinthians. And I finished up in chapter 7 the week before Christmas. And really enjoyed that because the text is right there. And if you're diligent and you prayerfully ask the Lord to show you what the text is saying, he's going to show it to you. I've always thought that my fastball, if I have a fastball, is kind of being topical, you know, kind of winging it type of thing. So I wung it this week. And I want you to rest assured, I spent as many hours preparing for today as I have for past sermons. But it was just all in the last 24 hours. <laughs> so I am, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't get much sleep last night. I haven't crammed, really, since college. But I want you to know that the Lord, is, I believe, has given us something here to, to really fire us up for the new year. As an elder board, we want to remind you what we're about, why this church exists in Windsor. We've got a very specific mission and a very specific strategy. and We've got clearly defined core values, and we're going to talk about that. And I want to just read a little uh, spoof to you on uh, Elder Board. This was something I found on MondayMorningInsight.com, and it's about an Elder Board meeting. And it reads like this. At a monthly Elder Board meeting, one of the elders thought God gave him an idea, and he presented it in the monthly elders meeting. After giving his most impassioned plea and really selling the idea to the Elder Board, The board voted and voted down the elders' proposed changes, 12 to 1. The head elder looked at his associate and said, Well, brother, it's 12 votes to 1. Looks like you've been outvoted. Looks like time is up for the evening. Would you go ahead and pray for us? The elder, not wanting to give up yet on what he felt God was leading him to do, led in prayer. As he prayed, he lifted up his hands to heaven and prayed, Lord, I know my brothers here do not have the same vision you have given me. Please help them to see that this is not my vision, but your vision. At that exact moment, a lightning bolt with a loud clap of thunder burst in through the window in the meeting room, striking the table, splitting it in two, and knocking all the elders to the floor. As the dust cleared, the praying elder looked at the head elder and said, So, what do you think about that? The head elder Dusting himself off, said, well, I guess that's 12 votes to two then. (laughs) Windsor Community Church is an elder-led church. And let me, particularly for those of you that are new, just explain what that means. It's not a Moses model. There's not one guy or even a group of guys that that are are dictating what this church does. It's elder-led from the standpoint that we don't have votes from the congregation. There's uh, three elders, uh, Dean, Danny, and myself. And then another elder to be on board, by God's grace, very soon, and Chris. And we just go before the Lord often, and by His grace, humbly, and just ask Him what He wants from us, and what He wants from this church, and how we can best bring the gospel to this community. That's what elder-led means. And we meet uh, once a month, and talk probably once a day, just really looking for direction. And what this church is all about. If you remember December of 2005, 13 months ago, 
We had our strategic planning meeting, the elders, and then we invited another gentleman in as well. It was four and a half years ago. We spent the day seeking the Lord and asking him what changes need to happen at Windsor. What are we doing well and what is not on track? And you remember what happened, what came out of that meeting? You know, some pretty major stuff. I mean, we changed our entire mission statement. We changed our core values. We changed our strategy. I mean, we did a complete 180, really, in many ways at that time. And it wasn't because things were broken. We had a good mission statement. We had good core values. The problem was, A, nobody could remember what they were. And B, is, is that it was, it was hard to rally behind them when nobody could remember what they were. So what we did is we just really sought the Lord. And, and many of you, we sought your counsel. Say, are we thinking right? Are we headed in the right direction? We really felt like 13 months ago that the Lord gave us a direction that is going to carry this church by His grace forward and affect this community in a big way for many years to come. Let me ask you this. Can anybody tell me what a core value is? There's not really a right or wrong answer. I'm going to, is this going to be a little bit interactive for a while? Does anybody want to take a stab at it? A non-negotiable. That's pretty good. Yeah. Non-negotiable. Foundational. Yeah. That's huge, Kathy. It's really what governs our life. It's the foundation of what we believe and that we run all of our decisions through. There's a book that I found. It's by Audrey Mulpers, and it's called The Nuts and Bolts of Ministry, What They Don't Teach You in Seminary. And he had a couple of good definitions. He's got this to say about core values. Core values explain why we do what we do. They not only shape the church's culture, but dictate the precise biblical mission for the church. Values are the hidden motivators that dictate every decision a church makes, every problem it solves, and every dollar it spends. That's what core values are. They're really important. If you're a part of a company, if you work for a company that doesn't have core values, quit. They're not going to be around. They don't have any direction. You don't want to ever be a part of a church that hasn't thought through who they are and what they're going to base every decision on and what they're going to spend every dollar on. Core values are critical. They are fundamental to all the organization does. They are what distinguishes one church from another. And they explain why some people are attracted to your church and some people are repelled. Okay? Churches are different. And they've all got different core values. Many of them don't have core values, but they need them. You each should receive some four by six cards. If, if you did, would you hold them up? Okay, good. One of them has the core values on it. The other one has the mission statement and the strategy. And my hope was is that you would take those home with you and that you'd put them in your Bible or you'd put them on the fridge and that would remind you to pray for Windsor Community Church. Also, it would be a catalyst for your family to say, how are we doing? How are our family's core values in align with our church's core values? I mean, why be a part of a church if you're not practicing the core values? That, and I'm confident most of you are, so I don't have anything in mind there. But, but take it there and use it as a training tool for your kids as well. I was talking to a brother last night, and he said that his wife and him actually had this conversation yesterday. They were actually discussing together about, you know, hey, how are we doing? How are we doing it, it relating to the lost? How are we doing with intimacy with the Lord? How are we doing with enc- encountering God in his word as a family? So take those home. Okay, I've got a book to give away by Piper. It's called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. It is a great book. And all I need is somebody to come up here and tell me just three of the six. Oh, first of all, put your cards down. Put your, turn them over. 
The Lord's watching. <laughs> Who wants this book? Just three of the three of the six core values. Come on up. Eric? You got, just spit them out. Come on, give Eric a hand. All right. Good job, brother. So we've got, we've got six core values. Intimacy with God and encountering God in his word. Those are our first two. And those are really the only two that are in order. Those are at the top for a reason. The title of this message today is First Things First. And we can't begin to do anything before we have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And we spend consistent, devoted time in His Word, encountering Him. The next four are relational evangelism, community with believers or community groups, passionate service, and proactive multiplication. Cards down. Who can tell me what the mission statement is? I've got a book from C.J. Mahaney called The Cross-Centered Life. This is a great book. First one to raise your hand gets it. You guys, our mission statement. True. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I hate baby. (laughs) (laughs) Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's our mission. Bottom line, we desire to see people come into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And we desire to see them grow in the grace and knowledge. Of the Savior. First Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Did you know Christ had a mission? Christ had a very specific mission. It was to come and redeem us. That's why He came. He came because we were separated from the Father. And that there was only one way for us to be reunited with the Father. For all of our sins to be forgiven. It says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which is lost. That's Christ's mission statement. He had a very specific strategy. It's all over his word. He didn't just come down to the earth and, and wander and come to save the lost. But I'm, I'm not quite sure what it looks like for 33 years. He had a very specific strategy. From who he spent time with. To the miracles he performed. To finally the suffering. To fulfill prophecy in, in the Old Testament. In the crucifixion, a very specific strategy. If you have a mission, you better have a strategy. Can you imagine a military leader being sent out on a mission to, say, find bin Laden or to establish democracy in Iraq or to protect the borders of the U.S. from illegal immigration with no strategy? Can you imagine that? It would be chaos. They'd be operating without a compass. The troops would all be heading in different directions, pulling against each other, doing the best they can. There are many good military leaders, just like there are many good churches, quite frankly. There's good churches in Windsor. Just a side note, you know, on Thursday nights, we've got another church in this town that uses this building and this stage for their worship team. Isn't that cool? It's not being used. Why not? They're neat folks. They've got a cool ministry. We're just pleased that the Lord provided this building that they could use. So there's many good churches with different missions and varying strategies for accomplishing their given mission. But a mission without a strategy will lead to chaos and failure. I've tried to do everything I can to try to not make this corporate. I don't want to make it corporate. But God wants us to have a 
a mission and a strategy. He wants us to have a direction. He wants us to have a strategy for going there. But also, as it says in Deuteronomy, I believe that man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. It's good to have a plan. As long as that plan is held like this, right? Not like this. It's my plan. It's our plan. Okay, we've got to always hold it like this. Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. As we thought through our mission and evaluated the composition of you all, the members of this church, and we thought about our strengths and weaknesses as a body, our strategy developed. Most of it wasn't new, but it reflected what we are sensing the Lord wanted from each of us in the body. Here's our strategy. It's simply to create environments where people are equipped and encouraged to pursue intimacy with God, to encounter God in His Word, to develop evangelistic relationships, to participate in a community group or community with believers, to be proactive in multiplication, and to passionately serve. Our strategy is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped. That's the strategy. A church our size, it would be chaos if the troops, you and I, were going down every direction, serving in different directions, got 19 programs. We want to be on the same page, marching towards the same mission, arm in arm. Okay, so our strategy is to create environments. And, and the way we create environments is prayerfully considering what we do as a church. We can't do everything. Does that make sense? We're going to talk more about that. All that was defined and decided upon 13 months ago. We had our latest leadership meeting several weeks ago in December. The last several years, we just had the pastors. This year, we opened it up to the leadership, which there's, there's 10 men that are part of the leadership in this church. And boy, was it needed and is it valuable getting the input from these guys. And many of them came with input from their wives, which is so necessary. So when our leadership met several weeks ago for a day of strategic planning, we sought the Lord and we decided to completely change our core values. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Golly, you guys are slow. I really had uh, Mitch back there with his hand on 911 in case somebody's heart stopped. What we did is we, we talked about the strengths and weaknesses. It's called our SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We talked about our strengths. We thanked the Lord for the strengths. Then we talked about the weaknesses. And you know mankind. (laughs) We spent the rest of the day talking about the weaknesses. And several of the weaknesses that really came up clear were lack of prayer. As a body, we really lack coming together and seeking the Lord together. That prayer has not been a main focus. I know... Many of you or all of you pray and and you seek the Lord, but prayer has to be foundational of what we do at Windsor Community Church. The other weakness was vision, quite frankly. As leadership, or as elder board anyway, we feel like we've got a pretty clear vision of where we're heading. We felt that way from day one, but I think we've done a poor job of communicating it and making sure that everybody's on the same page. So those are the two things that came up, was uh, lack of prayer and bad vision. So the rest of today and next Sunday, we're going to look at why we should be a praying body and the importance of each of our core values and how they shape our vision. What makes us unique? Who are we? What is our assignment? What's the next step? Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is your church. 
God, I pray for, for your Holy Spirit to intersect each of our lives here this morning. Lord, I pray for hearts that don't do well with things like core values and, and strategy and talking about that kind of stuff. Lord, I pray that if there's folks that are not on board, Lord, that they would humbly and, and honestly come talk to leadership and that the leadership would humbly and openly listen to those concerns. God, we thank you that you have called us to this mission. We thank you that you called us five and a half years ago to Windsor, Colorado to start this church. And you have done so much already. There's been many lives that have been changed. Lord, by your grace, you allowed us to be a part of starting a church in Greeley and a small part of several other churches. And we just ask that you would use us. So, Father, please just give me the words. Uh, get me out of the way for the rest of this message. Uh, God, I really need your Holy Spirit to calm my heart. We love you and we thank you that you are our God and that we're your people. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, just a side note. You've got that giving box back there. And it's for prayer comments as well. And if you've got any questions or you have any prayer requests, put them in the box back there. And one thing I would ask, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm half Italian and I'm half Irish. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Don't agree too hard there. But it does explain so much. And there was, a, uh, there was a, uh, a, a question that was asked on a comment card and put in the box a couple weeks ago. And the question was, and I know it was addressed to, addressed to me, the question was, is, why do we teach 40 verses in one Sunday? Whatever happened to two or three verses? And I thought, well, you know, that's a great question. And it should be answered. The problem was, is that whoever put it in there didn't put their name on it so that I could respond. So if you're sitting out there, I don't know who you are, uh, but I won't hurt you. Come talk to me. But we desire, by the way, in chapter 7, it was about marriage. I guess we could have talked about chapter 7 on divorce. We could have broken it apart into, into two verses a Sunday and talked about it for 20 Sundays. That would have been fun, huh? Divorce this Sunday. Divorce next Sunday. We're just going to move forward as the, as the Lord leads us. Let's talk about first things first. The first core value is intimacy with God. God desires an intimate relationship with each of us. Let's talk about what intimacy is not. Intimacy is the absence of religion. Intimacy is not religion. In fact, they are polar opposites. We want to be men and women that are not religious, that are not on a religious pursuit of God, but on a personal, passionate Pursuit to connect with God. And I'm going to explain that in a minute about what the difference between religion and intimacy is. Intimacy has nothing to do with routine or ritual. It has everything to do with relationship. When Christ called us to himself, he called us into an intimate, loving, two-way relationship. Religion will make you a judgmental old person and it will make God a stranger to you. Religion is a response to God that allows us to treat him respectfully, but not intimately. Religion will cause us to come to church on Sundays, to pray before bedtime, to do this ritual, that ritual. But if we get caught up in too many habits and not in the intimate relationship, our faith is dead. If you practice religion long enough, you may look good on the outside, but you'll get caught up on the rituals and formulas that the church in America has fostered. And your intimacy with God goes to zero. 
In fact, if you are religious long enough, you will learn to actually hate people that aren't like yourself. Look at the church in America today. We spend more time hating and persecuting the lost than we do loving them. There's several things that are required for intimacy. There's several things. Three things are required to have intimacy with each other and intimacy with the Lord. The first requirement is time spent. Time spent. You can't have an intimate relationship with anybody. Your wife, your kids, your best friend, and certainly God without spending time. You might say, I used to spend time alone with the Lord, but now I just go to church. Or instead of private worship, I spend time serving. You can't have an intimate relationship with anyone, including God, without spending regular, devoted time. Think about that. And as I was putting this together, boy, did it impact me with my family. You know, I just don't, I don't spend the time with my bride, and certainly my kids, of just, just eye to eye, asking them questions. How are you doing? Hearing from their heart. So the number one criteria for an intimate relationship is time spent. Spend time talking to him. In Daniel 6.10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Spend time regularly giving thanks to the Lord. Spend time regularly telling the Lord what your hurts are. He listens to you. In an intimate relationship, it's two-way. The Lord listens to you. You talk to Him, He really listens to you. In Ezra 8.23, as Ezra was trying to make a decision, he says, So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. And He what? He listened to our entreaty. Ask Him to help you hear. If you're not hearing from the Lord, if you're not understanding what He's saying in His Word, ask Him. Ask Him to open your eyes. In Psalm 119.18, and I have got out of this habit, but I used to read this verse every time before I spent time in the Word. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from Thy law. Ask Him to help you listen. Spend time listening to Him. How sweet are Thy words to my taste. Psalm 119. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From Thy precepts, or Thy word, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're never going to have his best for you, an intimate relationship with him, without spending regular, devoted time face-to-face with the Savior. The second requirement for intimacy is transparency. My wife and I and my accountability partners are never going to have true intimacy without being transparent with one another. It's just not going to work. If you and I are going to have an intimate relationship, we can't talk to each other in formulas. How are you? I am fine. I mean, how many of us walk through life every day saying, hey, how you doing? Fine, how you doing? Yeah, just doing great. I mean, I know what's going on in my life. It ain't pretty at times. I really struggle with things. You know, we need to be open and honest. The same goes with our relationship with the Lord. He wants us to be honest with Him. When you're angry, tell Him. When you're jealous and your heart is full of lust, let Him know. But you say, I don't want Him to know I have these issues. 
I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be struggling with jealousy. What if he gets mad at me? Well, here's some breaking news. For those of you that have a hard time being transparent with God, he already knows. He already knows. God doesn't say, really? You're kidding. I didn't know that. I wish you'd never told me that. Now I'm going to have to punish you. He didn't say those things. Let him know when you're hurting. He wants us to come to him. Yeah, he knows every thought and every intention. He knows every word before it comes out of our mouth. But he desires an intimate relationship. He wants us to talk to him. Psalm 63, 1. O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let him know. Express to him when you're hurting. If you've got a trial, ask him to remove that trial. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul says this To keep from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Paul had a trial. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this trial, I entreated the Lord three times to take it away. You think the Lord knew that Paul had this trial and that Paul wasn't happy about this trial? The Lord knew that Paul wanted him to take it away, but Paul expressed it to the Lord. After you tell the Lord or you ask the Lord, you don't tell the Lord anything. After you ask the Lord to take it away, be prepared that he might give you an answer that you don't like. And in verse 9, God's response to Paul was, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. God said to Paul, I'm not going to take it away. But you can rest assured that my grace is sufficient for you. I'll give you everything you need for life and godliness. Confess your sin and your ugliness to God. He already knows your shortcomings. It says in 1 John 1, 9 through 10, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the second requirement of intimacy is transparency. Being open and honest with the Lord. Have you ever been in a relationship? I have at times in my 26-year marriage where I'm not honest with Nancy. How you doing, Dan? Fine. You doing okay with finances? Yeah, doing fine. You know, just being, that, well, that doesn't create intimacy. It doesn't create intimacy. Our entire marriage is going to be better if we're completely open and honest with each other. Every aspect of the marriage, from communication to the bed, quite frankly. Every aspect, when there's, when there's true intimacy, when you're open and honest. Third requirement for intimacy is mutual sacrifice. You can't have an intimate relationship with someone unless there's mutual sacrifice. For a successful marriage or any other relationship to work, you must sacrifice and think of others as more important than yourself, as it says in Philippians 2. Think of others as more important than yourself. God already did his part. The ultimate sacrifice. John 3.16, For God shall love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Sometimes I, see my, I find myself shying away from that verse because it's just so basic. There's not a more foundational verse for what God did for us than John 3.16. He sacrificed for us. Philippians 2, 6-8. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, 
and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So to have an intimate relationship, mutual sacrifice is required. God did his part. We need to do our part. If you look at Philippians 3, 7 and 8, But whatever things were gained to me, this is Paul talking, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He wants us to give it all up. I'm not talking about selling our possessions. I'm talking about taking it from this to holding it like this. Our spouses, our kids, our jobs, our houses, our cars, our vacations, our relationships. Fill in the blank. He wants us to sacrifice it all for him. And again, it doesn't mean selling things. I'm not saying that. The Lord blesses everybody differently. But he wants us to hold it all like this. It's the least we could do, isn't it? For the sacrifice he made for us. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the foremost commandment. It takes sacrifice to do that. I'm not sure what that looks like. To love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm, I'm striving to find out what it looks like. I want to love the Lord with everything I got. So there's three things that are required to have an intimate relationship. Time spent, mutual sacrifice, and transparency. Those three things. Evaluate that in your own life. Maybe even evaluate it in your marriage as well. You know, I decided that I'll never be president of the United States. Does that surprise you? Can you imagine President Bush with a hanky wiping his nose every time? He's, I mean, I just got a hanky all the time. Sorry about that. hope that doesn't offend anybody. Second core value. Encountering God in His Word. Encountering God in His Word. God has spoken to us through the Bible, and we recognize it as final authority in our life. That's second core value, Windsor Community Church. Encountering God in His Word. Now, we are committed to expositing the Word on Sunday morning. We're going to have a few special Sundays every year, like this, where we get outside of teaching through verse by verse. But our desire is, is that you will come on Sunday morning and that you will grow by sitting underneath the teaching of the word. But you know what our primary desire is with this core value? Is that you're encountering God in his word on your own. We don't want this to be the only place where you get fed. We really want people to be encouraged and equipped to encounter God in his word. God gave us his word as a final revelation of who he is, his plan to redeem the world, and how to live the Christian life. There is much emphasis in the church today on coming and getting fed from the Word on Sunday morning. When you start spending time really encountering God in His Word during the week, during the mornings, during the evenings, that's where real growth takes place. That's when you start looking more like Christ. That's when you start understanding more of His love for you and His great sacrifice for you. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I can't explain it, but his word is living, and his word is active. 
It's him speaking to us. In fact, I changed this, and I don't think it changed on the slide. Yeah, that really needs to be changed, and we'll redo it. God is speaking to us through the Bible, not God has spoken to us. God is speaking to us. It is living. It is active. How many times have you read a verse? You read it, and you read it. And it's going, okay, that's what it says. Then you read it again, and it's like, wow, I never saw that. It's because you're going through a certain trial or a certain something in your life. And God knew that you needed that scripture to minister to you. His word is living and active. And you're not going to know the breadth and depth of that just getting into the word or sitting in the word on Sunday mornings. You need to dig in on your own. If you say, you know, I'm not sure how to do that. I really feel like we haven't, as leadership, we haven't done a good job of equipping you. And encouraging you. We want to do that. If you want to know how to study the word or how to encounter God in his word, come talk to me. Talk to Danny. Talk to Dean. We'd love to help you there. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. There it is again. That's it. If you don't know where to start, start right there. Start right there. The Lord's going to answer your prayer. He wants you to be able to hear from him. And you know, if you open his word and you're not understanding what it says, there could be a learning problem. But more than likely, you may not be saved. One of the fruits of being a believer is that God enlightens his word. Some of you had dramatic testimonies about that, where you read and 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 you you didn't know what it was saying. And God removed the scales from your eyes and the words just bounced off the page. Do you remember that? So if you're not understanding it, it may be because you haven't bent your knee to the Lord. Examine that. I'd love to process that with you. James 1, 22-26 says this, But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. As you get into God's word, that's our desire for you. Don't merely make it an academic process. God wants us to wash ourselves in the word. But with a blessing, look at the end of that verse, end of verse 26. This man shall be blessed in what he does. It's the doer that is blessed, not the hearer. It's the doer that is blessed. Okay? God wants us to not only take it in, but he wants us to to do it, to apply it to our lives. We're going to end there. Two, Two core values. The first one is intimacy with God. Three steps towards establishing intimacy, spending time with the Lord, being transparent with the Lord, and sacrifice. The second core value is encountering God in His Word on your own. Evaluate that this week. Community groups, I'd love for you to have a discussion on that. Next week, we're going to talk about the great giveaway. The great giveaway. We're going to talk about the final four core values. And we're going to give away hundreds of dollars. I kid you not. Could be as little as a thousand, could be as much as three thousand dollars. There's going to be information on what that's all about in the e-news. So if you're not receiving the e-news, 
and you'd like to, put your email address on the prayer card and put it in the box, and you'll see what this great giveaway is all about. Okay, so we're going to give away money, but more importantly, we're going to be giving away a lot of other principles. Now, I told you that prayer was a big part, a big weakness that we had. And we're going to spend some time today, for the final ten minutes, with a prayer and share time. And we're going to do that every month on the first Sunday. As a body, we're going to share what the Lord is doing, how we can pray for each other, how we can rejoice with each other. Today we've got a special couple that's going to come up and share a testimony about how they're taking this prayer thing and using it as a family. So Stan and Danette, would you come on up? We were just told to give an example of what our prayer time looks like or what we do as a family. And at the first of the year, we always sit down as a family and we write down our goals for the year, like painting the house or things that the kids want to do or, or, or certain things like that. So we have a goal set up and we write those down. We also, after we go over that, we have prayer needs in our family of church here or where, what our kids are feeling at school or things like that. So we'll write down prayer requests and we'll pray over those throughout the year. We then bring our last year's goals and our last year's prayer requests and see what his, the Lord cool. has answered and mm. uh, what he hasn't answered yet for, you know, we don't know his timing. So we're a lot eager, a lot more eager than he is. And uh, it's just interesting to see the kids and throughout the year, there'll be certain prayer requests that they write down. And when those are answered, how they just share those with you That's and great. And, and it just involves us at the dinner table through things that they've prayed about with kids at school and, and classes and things like that of how their growth has happened and just how the Lord's working in our life. That's so cool. What a great discipline. Chris, would you come on up? Would you guys stay here? Father, we just thank you so much for this dear family. We thank you for this habit, this legacy that they're really building for their kids. Uh, Lord, that they're uh, not only desiring to pray and to seek you, but uh, really de- desiring to want to remember what you've done. And Lord, I praise you for that. And I just pray that you continue to bless the humble family. It's in Christ's special name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We've known the Hummels for 106 years. And ever since we've known them, they've been doing this, I think, because it may bless their family when they see a prayer request answered. But, and I don't know if you really know this, but when they'd come to flock, they'd say, oh, we got another one off the list. And, and they would tell us how God had answered a prayer and how the children, they, they'd been praying for this need over and over and over and just pouring their heart out to God. And God answered it in, in an affirmative way. And it, it didn't just bless their family, but it blessed all of us. And this prayer and share time is exactly that. What has God been doing? in our lives that we can share with each other because it encourages us, right? When you go and you pray, and sometimes people have prayed for loved ones, prayed for needs, and it seems like there's just no answer. And sometimes you get a little discouraged, and you're like, why am I even doing this? Is God listening? Is it? And then we come together as a body, and brother, where Dwayne, I know you're here. Where are you? There you are. One day, I just love this phrase that Dwayne shared with us one time. And we're just sharing fresh bread with each other. We're sharing what the Lord has done. And 
In doing that, it encourages us and fills our bellies and, and it just encourages us to go out and, and continue seeking God that way. So this is a time where we can just share with each other what has God done and also what are, there, what, what, what are some needs? What are some needs that we can come around each other and pray for right now? I'd just like to add a praise the Coopers. Jan's just been struggling, and they found out a few months ago that they were going to have a grandson. Then she came down with the shingles, and the praise there is that they caught that in time that she could take medication and still be able to go out and see her grandson before it became, I mean, it's, it can be very contagious, and uh, they just got it in time, and she could go out and, and be able to spend time with her son and daughter-in-law and new baby so it's in the strength that they have going through such a incredible time in their life is just i mean every week that i see them it's, it just makes me radiant and be able to spend time with them uh, since i'm the object of your affection um i should uh at least in part update you and then maybe be able to give you some focus on our lives and how to pray. First of all, I just need to let you know that, that uh, within myself, I'm a very selfish, self-centered person. And I don't need anybody. That's who I am. Uh, and you need to understand that from the basic of whatever you see whenever you look at me. And I spent most of my life living that way, even under the even under the shadow of being a Christian. Within that, God brought us out here, uh, really through some pretty neat, unique things, prayer, and through John Norlin and and things like that, job going away, and and all of those things that are that God just had His hand into that you just can't you can't ignore. And then. Through that and being so prideful and self-sufficient and living most of your Christian life, and men, please hear this. You cannot do this. It's unhealthy. You cannot live your Christian experience by yourself, alone, isolated on an island, just you and God, so to speak, in that sense, that at some point you do need the body of Christ and it's an element. And I want you guys to know that you have slayed me with your love and what I thought I didn't need, what I was too proud to admit, you've given to me freely. And it's uh, overwhelming. It's humbling. And it's a necessity. If, if, if I had a thorn in my flesh, I just, I think I tried to express it to you. And God has, has since removed that. To have, have somebody, a partner, have a friend that... that you have to be really honest with and and transforth. Uh, look at each other and share things. You need to do that. I also need to admit to you that that when Jan and I started on this, and you know, there's things in your life that are going on, and this is not about cancer. It's not about a business failing in the end. Uh, it's not about anything. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we say that kind of flippantly because we hear it so much. But that is the real end of the whole thing. And you need to know that 
I had had in some ways written Jan off when, when this whole thing started in that sense that it, it's over. That's kind of the way I think. I kind of move on. And, there, and there's some good sides to that and there's some really bad sides to that. And so through that, and, and I had to go before God and, and just beg and plead with him. And, you know, part of it was selfishly. Part of it was selfish that I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to go home to my house at night and nobody be there. Is that not about the most selfish thing that you can think about with somebody that's your partner and your lover and your friend? But I had to work through that. And God had to help me realize that uh, that's not a way to treat anybody. Um, that's not a way to have a relationship with somebody. But yet that was my heart and, and, and God answered my prayer. He answered the prayer of the humblets that pray all the time up there. Standing down, it's, and many of your daughters and and your families have prayed for Jan, and and I just appreciate that uh, from the bottom of my heart. It has broken me, and I love that. I, I love you guys uh, more than I ever know. So, the prayer request is: so, how will we form us into a prayer request that we continue to be able to grow? That we keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter what. And my flock community group has heard me say from day one that God has not only the right to do with me whatever he deems need be to make me formed into what he wants me to be. And I started with that, that he has the right. And now I've, he's moved me in the last year to the place that he not only has the right, that he has my permission. And I think that's a, that's a shift. That's a great shift. One is his legal right to who he is as God, and the other is now my heart changing, saying, Dear Jesus, form me and shape me. You know, and he's had to take this lump of clay and smash it and, and put me back on the wheel and put a little Holy Spirit in it and, and grow. So just continue to, to pray. And, uh, and Jan continues to get strong, and who knows what's going to happen. We don't know. And we don't actually care in that sense. Because he's in charge. Praise your holy name. Hi. Um, so, everybody that knows my family knows that my dad's kind of sick right now. And um, he's getting slowly better, but it's to the point right now where he doesn't even want to leave the house. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure on me because right now I'm the only one home and I have to deal with all the breakdowns and everything. And I just pray that, you know, he gets better and that all of our lives will not be that frustrating anymore. Stan, could you pray for the Hill family? Father, I just thank you so much for Emily and for the Hill family. And Lord, there's been so many trials in their family, Lord. And I just pray that you continue to work on Jeff. I know that he has Willie O'Burk there that he can talk to. And he has good days and he has bad days, Father. And I just pray that you can 
continue to reach him. I pray that you eventually heal him and make him to be able to have a normal life, Father. I pray that you help this family just to be able to come around him and help him in the best way that they know how, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we can look back on this and we can count it as joy, this trial, that this possibly is the breaking point to bring Jeff to you, Father. And there's so many people in this sanctuary right now that just love that man, love that family. And I pray that we uh, are there when he needs us to be there and that he can call out, Jeff can call out to any of us and we can uh, drop what we're doing to to be a, of assistance, Father. And I just pray that you continue to grow Emily and Holly and Brendan too, Lord, that they can continue to grow in faith and strength towards you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I can hear the kids rumbling upstairs. So I appreciate you guys staying longer. And, and if someone would go up and get the kids, that would be great. Uh, bring them on down so they can sing with us. One prayer request that I have that Sue Torres brought to uh, to me, and I don't know if you guys know him. His name is Bruce Cummings, and he cleans our building for us every week. Be in prayer for Bruce. He had all his teeth removed, and he is not feeling very good at all. I saw him last Tuesday, and he can barely talk. So just to lift Bruce up in your prayers this week as you think about it and we really do take it for granted we have someone come in and clean this building every week, and he's just phenomenal. And If you guys notice when you walk in and it smells like pine soil, you know Bruce has been here. <laughs> so he does a wonderful job. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a final song. So, Father God, I thank you for this time of prayer and share that we could all lift up our request to you. And I know there are many more as I look around and see everyone and and we all have things that God's doing in our lives and our families' lives. And, and we all have things and pains and hurts that are there. And, Lord, you know those. And I just pray, as Dan said, that we would be transparent with you. And we'd be transparent with one another. That we'd be able to lift these prayer requests up and share them with each other. Because I know you take great joy in hearing our prayers and our requests, Lord. And so we lift this up to you. In your precious holy name, amen.